Michael, this is all very confusing. This is On Markets with Remy, Tino, and Mike, the podcast where we decrypt and demystify economic, financial, and other investing concepts. We get ideas from the show from many different sources, but our favorite source is from you. Over the past few months, I've had the same request pop up numerous times. Will you guys do an episode that helps me know when I need a financial advisor? So we aim to please, so that's what this episode's going to be about. If you have any questions, comments, or would like us to discuss your financial situation on the show, email us at comments at onmarkets.com. Also, if you like the show, don't forget to hit the follow button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. So before we start the show, I actually want to let all of our listeners know that this is going to be our final show for the summer. When we started the podcast, we really didn't know what to expect. And since February, our listener base has exploded and the feedback has been extremely positive and we really appreciate the support. So we'll be back in September with some fresh voices and some new ideas. So let's get this episode started by first explaining what a financial advisor actually does. Because I think that that is um, highly up for debate. If I ask 10 different people, I think I'll get 10 different answers. So Mike, why don't you take this and explain what does a financial advisor actually do? You know, this is interesting for me because the reality is I haven't been a financial advisor, a client-facing financial advisor for all that long. You know, while I've been in the financial services business for about 40 years, I've really only been client-facing with the exception of a couple of years at the beginning of my career for about the last 18 months or so. And I think that for me, it's sort of evolved what my role is in, in sort of the way that I interact with people. You know, I think that when we first started doing this, uh, it was very much about trying to figure out what people expected of me and trying to deliver what that was. And I think it's evolved much more into uh, a relationship building sort of role. And I think that's really what a, a good financial advisor does. They build a relationship with a the client. They listen. They try to put themselves in the client's shoes. They try to create solutions to get clients to whatever their goals are in a way that's comfortable for them. And we've talked about it a lot of times that there are things that we think make sense that maybe a client doesn't think makes sense. And is it really our role to, to sort of do something that makes the most economic sense when it makes a client uncomfortable? And it really isn't. You've got to find that, you've got to find that balance. So for me, I, I think the quick answer, Tino really says it best, that, you know, financial advisor is your personal CFO. I, I like that response. But to dig a little deeper, it really is about building a relationship, an ongoing relationship with people and listening to them, understanding what their wants and desires are, understanding what their, their risk tolerance is and their, their level of um, tolerance for you know, uneasiness in the market and those kinds of things. And then to try to get them to their goals in a way that, that makes them the most comfortable. So basically what I'm hearing is that a financial advisor's role is really to understand the needs and the goals of the client and help them to achieve those goals. One of the things that I think would, would surprise many people is that a financial advisor tends to have a team of specialists that work behind them, however. Right? I, I think most people feel that they go to the financial advisor, they you know, let them know what they're trying to do, and the financial advisor just goes back to his desk and, and comes up with this great plan. But in reality, the financial advisor has a lot of specialists that they go to for different parts of a financial plan. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. We recently did an episode on uh, wealth management versus asset management, and that's a good example of what you're talking about, right? I'm in the wealth management side of the business, Tino's in the asset management side of the business. So people sit down and, and 
frequently they expect me to be very conversant in what's happening in the market, specific stocks, specific companies, things like that. And sometimes they're a little disappointed that, I, that I'm really not that conversant in those things, right? That's what Tino is here for. You know, he sits in the background and Tino and his team do all of that research. And they're really the ones that are they're creating the investment models and managing the portfolios and creating the algorithms those, that run those portfolios and all those kinds of things. And I don't think that most people realize that most advisors don't have that, that expertise, nor should they really. But that's just one small example of one of the specialists that sits behind you know, sits behind the scenes and not always, right? Sometimes, you know, comes on calls with clients and things like that, but depending on the advisor, frequently a client uh, will never see the portfolio manager, never speak with the portfolio manager. You know, there could be a, an insurance expert behind the scenes. There might be an estate planning person. There may be a tax planning person. There are a lot of people that we lean on for advice and the financial advisor's role is to sort of put all those things together in a way that's coordinated that gets the client to where they, they need to be. So let's talk about what a financial advisor doesn't do. What is something that a client frequently expects that really is not the role of a financial advisor? Well, uh, people frequently call and say, uh, you know, I got a hot stock tip by X. I was expecting Tino to jump on that one. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Because I know that's his favorite one. It's, it's my, kind of my favorite one. So. And people are disappointed when you don't want to do that. Um, they expect that that is your job and your role. And it really isn't. I mean, you really, I think it makes a lot of sense to have the conversation that we're having now with clients as they come in the door. And I've, I've probably done a better job of that lately than I, than I did going in. Because they do really have the expectation that you're like a stock picker or a stock broker. You know, and you're really not. But that's a good example of something that, that people would ask for pretty frequently. I mean, that's the perfect example, the one that always comes up. So we like to use analogies on the show a lot. And I think of an investment team very much like I think of a a football team. The financial advisor is really the quarterback, right? He's calling the plays. He's reading the defense. he's, He's trying to understand what the goal is on that particular play and how the team can get to the first down marker. But once he understands that, he relies on the rest of his team and the team makes it happen. He needs his receivers to, to get free and, and catch the ball if, if he's throwing. He needs his running back to be able to pick up a handed off ball and run through the line and get to that, that next level. He needs his blockers up front to keep him safe. You know, every part of that team is doing something. And if you're missing part of that team, you can't really achieve the goal. And I think what happens very often is that clients don't realize there's a team sitting behind that quarterback. And they expect the quarterback to do everything. Yeah, I see that happening a lot too when a, a super technical question comes up about whether it's estate planning or insurance or, or, or the markets rather. We've talked about this in, in a prior show too, about this hesitation for advisors to say, I don't know, I'll have to get back to you. And there is, there is a bit of an expectation that advisors know everything about everything. And I, I think this is in an industry now that has gotten so strong uh, that if you are that quarterback, if you are running or calling the plays, the infrastructure exists to be able to build out that network. So I, I would say that if you're looking at a financial advisor or looking for a financial advisor, whether they've got a few million in assets under management or they've got a couple billion, uh, one of the questions I would be asking them is how are you how are you set up? You know, what does your expert network look like? How do you make decisions? Who who's on your team and how are the roles separated? And to me, a huge red flag would be if an advisor said, well, I try to do everything myself because you just can't do everything yourself. It's not possible. 
Not effectively anyways. I think there are a lot of advisors that, you know, let's face it, when, when you first get into the business as an advisor, you know, we're probably a little bit unusual that we've been in the business for a long time and, and are stepping into this role, you know, for me late in my career, right? But, you know, if there's a young guy and he's just stepping into the, the role of an advisor, I think you want to instill confidence in people. And I think that people think, especially when you're young, the way to instill confidence is to know everything. And it really isn't. It's, it's to be comfortable not knowing. And it's, it's a hard thing to do, right? It's hard for me at times. And somebody asks me a question that I feel like I should know the answer and I don't, you know, for me to just say, you know, I, you know, I, I just don't know. Um, I'll find out that's what, that's what we have the team for. You know, and sometimes it puts people off a little bit, right? You know, until they get to know you and your team and that you have a team, you know, they don't really quite know what to expect. Because again, a lot of people have, have sat with advisors that, you know, the advisor is the, is the, the know-it-all guy. Or at least they try to portray themselves that way. Do you find that, that more advisors put themselves out there as sort of the, the one-stop shop, that, that they're really the, the only one that's doing everything? Or do you find that more advisors actually do put out their entire team and, and are a little bit more transparent in regards to what's happening? Yeah, I think it depends on how the advisor views his or her value proposition to their client, right? If you've got an advisor who sells on their ability to outperform markets or to be or to have some specific type of insight, whatever it may be, in terms of a more technical offering, then uh, you tend to see that uh, quite regularly. But uh, you know, there are other advisors who say, "Okay, our value proposition isn't necessarily we're going to pick the best stocks; it's we're going to get you to your goals." I'm actually going to say something that probably isn't going to come across as all that popular, but my opinion is the better advisors are the ones that that put their team out front and, and let clients know that they have a team. I think the ones that are less secure with what they're doing tend to be the ones that, that are the do-it-yourselfers and, and the do-it-all guys. And I think that, you know, advisors serve different markets. And I think the ones that serve higher end markets tend to be more comfortable with the team approach. Um, and the ones that are, you know, sort of the mom and pop guy next door type of advisor tend to feel that they have to do it on their own. So when is it appropriate for somebody to start looking for a financial advisor? What are some indicators that someone should say, you know what, now's the time to, to really start seeking out some help? You know, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One, and the most obvious that we run into in our business is getting closer to retirement. Uh, and this is, uh, whether it's fortunate or unfortunate, the reality of the world that we exist in today is one where the do-it-yourself approach to retirement is has become virtually impossible. Now, it may sound like a sales pitch for our industry, but, but the reality is, is the days of buying government bonds, bank CDs, some super safe corporate bonds, and earning enough you know, zero to low volatile income in retirement, that's over. It's, it's done. I mean, we're not going to see that coming back for any, in any of our lifetimes for all intents and purposes. So to me, the closer you get to retirement, that's when you need to start thinking about, okay, I need to bring on somebody that knows what they're doing and can help me achieve a goal. Again, that goal should not be to outperform the S&P 500. It's to make sure that you don't outlive your money. That's a big one. The other one that comes to mind too, and this is irrespective of age, is frankly, if you come into money or if you come into a situation where uh, you're starting to build some real wealth or you've received an inheritance, sold a company, something that's put you in a special situation where you've, you now overnight have to worry about preserving what you've been able to either make on your own or like I said, inherit. Those types of situations a lot of times bring complexities in terms of you know, tax considerations, estate planning, all of that. And most of the time, 
these types of issues need to be dealt with by not just one expert, but a team of experts. You know, I'm going to come at this from a different angle, and I'm going to go back to, to Remy's use of analogies. A couple of years ago, uh, my wife and I bought a house in Connecticut with a, with a big yard with a lot of nice plantings and so forth, and had some time on my hands. And when I bought the house from the guy, you know, he had a sort of a barn. I was going to call it a shed, but it was almost like a barn. And he had a big John Deere lawn tractor and all kinds of lawn equipment. I bought all this stuff from him because I was all excited about doing all this stuff myself, right? I really, I like enjoy gardening. I enjoy lawn work. I'm like, this is going to be great. I'm going to do all this stuff myself. So I get about, yeah, I get about halfway through sort of going through the yard and getting all the gardening done and so forth. And, you know, I'm sort of running out of steam. And, you know, I'm ignoring it. And, you know, my wife is bugging me to get somebody to do it. And I don't really want to do it. You know, I don't really want to call somebody. I want to do it myself. And, you know, one day she says to me, you know, you know what? You're an idiot. And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, you're grumpy. You don't want to do this stuff. And the lawn looks like crap. And I went, you're right. I'm an idiot. I need to call a professional to do the lawn. And, and, and I found myself doing that with multiple things, not just with the lawn, but, you know, Remy, I'm sure you've been in the same boat, right? You've done a lot of uh, home reconstruction. Every home renovation like I've ever done in my life, I feel that way about. Right. You get into the midst of it. And, and in your mind, you know, I can do a better job than these guys. I know exactly what I want. I'm going to do a great job. But you, but you don't really do it. And I think that that happens a lot with financial planning with, with people. You know, we say it all the time, right? The information's out there for everybody, and it is. But it's a job, and, and you need to pay attention to it, and you need to work at it, and you need to do all of these annoying things that you don't really want to do, and you have to read a lot of stuff that you don't want to read. And I just don't think that a lot of people actually do it the right way. I think that for most people, they would be better off to hire a good professional to do it for them. We see it a lot when people come in and, they, and they've done it themselves, and they, they'll admit, you know, I, I've done this myself for X number of years, and you know, I don't know. I just bought a fund. I, I just, you know, I just didn't feel like dealing with it. And I just, you know, I've ignored it. I haven't done as good a job as I should, blah, blah, blah. It, it's me with the lawn, right? I just, I just need to own up to the fact that I'm not going to do the job the way a professional, a guy, a guy that I, I, I pay to do it will do it. You know, in our previous episode, we were talking about risk. And one of the things that Tino said is that a big thing in regards to risk is having the ability to do something, but also having the willingness to do something. And I think it's very similar to what you're talking about right now, Mike, which is because I feel the same way, right? I, I know that, uh, you know, this has to be done, that has to be done. I have the ability to do it. And I agree with you. I think I'm going to do it better than probably whoever I'm going to hire. It's the willingness that's the tough one, right? You, you have the willingness when you go into it, but but that willingness wanes as you continue on. And, and the more work it is and the longer it goes on and the less interested you are and the more the more you become interested in other things. Yeah. And you get three quarters of the way into it and you go, this is not fun anymore. This seemed like a great idea at the time. And now it's drudgery and it sucks and I don't want to do it. And to extend that analogy, you know, it's, it's one thing for your yard to look like crap for a couple of weeks and your wife yell at you. It's another thing to risk literally running out of money in retirement or having to work five or maybe even 10 years longer than you want to, than your body would allow you to do because the DIY approach didn't necessarily get you where you wanted to be. Yeah, the stakes are a lot higher, right? One yeah. is having a crappy lawn, the other was going broke. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about one last thing. The difference between a brand name advisory firm versus a boutique advisory firm, right? So to give an example, What's the difference between finding a financial advisor at a place like Charles Schwab, which is a household brand name, everybody knows who they are, versus finding a financial advisor that may be a local boutique advisor, somebody like us at Darwin Wealth Management? I think one of the big things that comes to mind is 
you know, the scale associated with the different types of practices. You go to a large firm, uh, if you are a cookie cutter investor of sorts, where you don't have a lot of variability in your needs, then going to a large uh, house like that would be probably very sufficient. However, if if you're looking for things like being able to talk to the people that's looking after your assets or you're managing the money. If you're looking for specialized needs around estate planning or insurance or other ancillary service offerings, then the boutique advisor tends to be a good choice in that instance. This is one of those things that has come up with me for years, really from a couple of different perspectives, right? One is, um, and we've talked about this in the show before, Remy, you and I have dealt with advisors for a long period of time. And there are a lot of advisors that feel that they need to be with a Morgan Stanley, uh, you know, Merrill Lynch or whoever, because they feel that they need that big, you know, nationally recognized name. You know, I've never really subscribed to that. I, I think it's much more about the individual advisor and the relationship. And ironically, I think that people feel that if they go with a, a large nationally known brand, that they have more availability a product and things like that. But what I have found through the years is that it tends to be just the opposite. You know, the the bigger a company is, the more they have to systematize in order to scale, the more cookie cutter they sort of treat the clients. And and it's a generalization, obviously there's there's you know, there's exceptions to everything. As opposed to an individual advisor or a, a boutique advisor that may have, you know, 20 or 30 employees like us, we'll really tend to be a little more specialized with clients. We tend to look at each client individually as opposed to they fit into box A, B, C, or D. Does there tend to be a cost difference? No. Honestly, when it comes to the cost question, it's the, the one thing about this business is that I've never really seen any kind of standardization on fees. Uh, people charge all over the place, big or small. I, I, I don't think that you're going to see a cost savings per se just because you're going to a large firm. Same thing with with a small with a small firm. Some small firms ch- charge a lot, some ch- don't. It's it, it really is all over the place. So I, I don't necessarily know if that's the case. And and but I'll I'll extend this by saying while cost is important. And there's no question that it is. I would focus more on the value than the actual fee that you're paying. There are a lot of advisors that charge a lot more relative to their competition simply because they, they're providing or they proceed to be providing more value, right? Maybe they're doing a little bit more estate planning or, or, or whatever it may be. Maybe they're doing more communication pieces, thought leadership, uh, all of that stuff that another advisor says, you know what, that's not really my expertise. I'm going to do something a little different and charge a little bit less for. So I would focus more on what are you getting for your for your fee versus what are you actually paying. People tend to forget that advisory practices are, are businesses and there's large franchised ones and there's there's small independent ones. It's it's like, you know, do you go to Starbucks for your coffee or do you go to the local, you know, Mocha Joe like Larry David? It's the same kind of thing. And again, I, I just I keep going back to the same thing. It's more about finding the advisor that gels with you philosophically and you and you feel like they're they're hearing what you have to say. It's really about the relationship. And that relationship is important, like I said earlier, because when things get weird in markets or whatever's happening, you got to feel like you call some, you call your advisor and you have that rapport because that more than anything, and I've been in this business long enough to, to know that that more than anything else is what's going to keep you on track. So before we wrap this up, this is actually our 33rd episode. Sometimes I feel like I can't believe it's already 33 and other times I feel like I've been doing this for 10 years already. So I'm curious, over the past six months, what have you taken away from doing the podcast? You know, I've always, I've, I've been a guest on a lot of podcasts and, and stuff like this, but to actually do it ourselves, 
what I've taken away is that it is a hell of a lot more work than it looks like. Yeah, you kind of took the words out of my mouth on that one. It's it's a tremendous amount of work. Especially for you, Remy, because you're doing all the work behind the scenes, the, the editing and all these ums and mistakes that we make along the way that you're probably not hearing. Uh, that's all Remy's work behind the scenes. It does always feel like we've got a another podcast sort of looming over our heads to record, and it's always in the back of my mind. I'll tell you what, though. For me, it's been interesting because it's given me an opportunity to talk sort of openly about what we do for a living when I'm not really guarded, right? I'm not sitting with a client. I'm not trying to sort of get myself into their head to think about, you know, how do they see this and how can I best serve them? It really is, has been almost like therapeutic for me, right? I, I, we just talk about random things and we talk about the way that we see it. And it really has, I think, helped me become a better advisor because we talk about a lot of stuff that I probably wouldn't talk about, you know, in, in other circumstances. I, I really enjoyed it. It's been kind of cool. I have a new appreciation for all of the the podcasters out there, especially the ones that do it on a daily basis. It requires a team of people to get this done. You, you don't really realize how much research needs to be done, how much post-production needs to be done, how much conversation needs to happen before the episode to make sure, you know, if there's multiple people on the podcast that everybody's sort of on the same page. It, it's quite a production and it really is a full-time job for a team of people. So like I said, when we started the show, this is going to be our last episode of the summer. So thank you again for joining us. It's been fantastic. We're really excited to pick it up again in September and we hope that you'll be there. podcast is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management LLC and Darwin Advisors LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representation or warranties and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk and there could be no assurance that any investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities mentioned herein.